Can you think back on a great birthday meal you've had with friends, perhaps? Maybe one sticks out. I remember, I remember the first time I had something like that, probably, probably around 1985, maybe 84. And my mom had all my buddies over uh, from church, and we, we had a blast. I've never forgotten that. Um, I remember when I turned 30, and so many of my old friends back home got together, and that was great. I remember the 10-year celebration this church put on for my wife and I, and I'll never forget that. I agree with one author who said, it's a deep human instinct. I believe a God-given one that we mark significant moments with significant meals. Those particular meals make us remember things that really matter. Maybe an anniversary, a birthday. Did you know there's a meal that causes us to remember what we should be, what what should be the most important thing in our lives, namely our relationship to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We celebrated this meal last Sunday. Here's the thing, though. Have you thought more about what matters most to you on account of observing that meal? Or are you walking through the motions? Has that meal impacted you personally? How? Thing is, if we have come to know Jesus, and if we are walking with him, our lives are always impacted unto worship. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, page 902, 903 in the Bible that's provided for you there in the pew. Mark highlights Jesus' extraordinary authority as the Son of God. And he reveals that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament who would not first conquer the Romans but suffer and die as the atoning sacrifice for, for sins as the Old Testament foretold. In our context, we're now at that, part, uh, that portion that we've been talking about is Holy Week leading up to his crucifixion. We have seen him enter Jerusalem on a mule as only Messiah would do. We have seen him condemn the temple with authority that only Messiah and Son of God, Son of Man, can do. We have heard his promise of the offensive desolation of, that's coming to Jerusalem as a warning, but also uh, prepare future disciples for the continued time of tribulation until he comes in glory. They will know when to get out of Jerusalem. No one knows the hour of the day when Christ will appear to judge the world. And now we see Jesus alone with the disciples for observing Passover and so much more. The backdrop of this story, as many of you know, is the Jewish feast of Passover and unleavened bread in Jerusalem. It was a time of thanksgiving for God's miraculous deliverance of the people of, uh, is, uh, of, of, of Abraham, of Israel, for the deliverance out of uh, bondage in Egypt. The Jewish Independence Day, you could call it, included the slaughter of the Passover lamb whose blood was on the doorpost 1,400 years earlier. It calls the death angel to pass over each home where he saw the blood covered it, sparing the life of the firstborn in that family. Let's look now at God's word, Mark chapter 14. It was two days before the Passover, 
and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. Some were expressing indignation to one another. Why was this perfume, why has this perfume been wasted? This perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. When they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Whenever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him one by one, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. But the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. As they were eating, he took bread and blessed it, took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my body. Blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it, in the new, drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. 
And they all said the same thing. This is God's word. Verses 1 through 11, we see how the story of the woman anointing Jesus is sandwiched between the scheme to arrest and kill Jesus. In verses 12 through 25, you can see where Jesus replaces the Passover and institutes the Lord's Supper. And in 26 through 31, we see Jesus prepare the disciples for what he must face and will face alone, Calvary. And Mark wants us to see that Jesus is totally unique and that only he can fulfill the role of of the substitute for God's people. Here's the central point if you're taking notes. Jesus is truly the Lamb of God. Jesus is truly the Lamb of God. Therefore, let us treasure him as our everything. Let us treasure him as our everything. Number one, we will pick a side. We will pick a side. There's two points to the sermon. This is number one. We will pick a side, verses 1 through 11. Look at the framing of the betrayal of Jesus on both sides of this woman anointing Jesus is the scheme to arrest and kill Jesus. This is to help us see the the responses and and pick a side. You read about this, oh, it's Passover time, and the scribes, they're getting ready for worship. No, they're planning to murder. Will we be those who adore Jesus or those who despise and hate Jesus is what Mark wants us to sense. Where are we in the, in the text? Are you seeing the scene carefully here? It's not just the political opponents of Jesus involved, but one of the disciples. Maybe we get used to the story of Judas, but we shouldn't. It still should strike us. Looking deeper at the heart issues, you can see how the passage exposes inner motives and conflict of interest. You know, the church can tend to look to threats from without and ignore the threats from within. People come into the church all the time who end up choosing their sin over Christ. You know that, right, as as mature members of a church, that happens. Members, we should be mature in knowing that sometimes people drift away and stop prioritizing Jesus. Jesus didn't leave Judas. Judas left Jesus. As one commentator highlighted, some people in a church can believe that their sin justifies their vision of the greater good in their minds, like Judas, never seeing that self-interest motivates their words, actions, and that it leads them into the greatest guilt. We know from other accounts that Judas was an embezzler. He, He bailed when he realized Jesus had no intention of establishing a political reign that Judas wanted in the current age. He was hoping to have a high-ranking office. Too often, people with worldly priorities, friends, fool themselves and and others. They they, they fool themselves and others in the process and join a church. And as soon as it doesn't work out to their strengths, they either leave or harm the church on the way out. Satan loves to put people like this inside of a church who will dress up their hypocrisy with the right religious makeup and clothing. Male and female wolves enter a church undetected. But their colors do shine out eventually, especially when their vision is opposed. 
They almost never know how to disagree in love and protect the unity of a church. Friends, be careful. Just because you're in a church doesn't always mean you're with Christ. Being a member of the church is not the same as justification by faith alone and Christ alone. Are you about Jesus' name? Are you open to not only sharing your concerns, but hearing concerns about you? What is your track record? But look at the providence of God here in the text. Verse 2 reveals how the opponents of Jesus wanted to take him down after Passover. They were not concerned about Passover, the memorial of their deliverance out of Egypt. No, they were too busy breaking the law of Moses. Focus in here. Their original plan was to do nothing till the feast of the Passover was over. And the Passover worshipers had returned to their own homes. Oh, they were sneaky. But what Mark wants us to see here is the overruling providence of God. His complete, how he overrules them and defeats this political design they had in view. The, the death of our Lord took place on the very day when Jerusalem was most full of people. And the Passover feast was at its height. And since that day, the world has talked more about Jesus than the Passover, haven't they? Oh, the Lord's still always in, in control. In every way, the plans and intentions of these wicked men was turned to foolishness. They thought they were going to put an end forever to Christ's spiritual kingdom. And in reality, they were happy helping to establish it. They thought they had made him vile and contemptible by the crucifixion. In reality, they made him glorious. To any and all who repent and believe. They thought, they, they thought to have silenced his disciples and stopped their teaching. Instead, they provided them with a text and a subject forevermore. So it's easy for God to cause human wrath to praise him. I marvel at God's superintending sovereignty over this whole situation. They meant it for evil. God will use it for good. You know, we live in a troubled world. If you can't tell, we do. Very troubled world. We are tempted unto anxiety all the time, aren't we? Nobody here ever struggles with that? No? Here we go. Don't forget that everything is ordered for good by an all-wise God. And he has the power to work it all together. Everything in the world around us works together for the, for the Father's glory. God laughs at the schemes of men, Psalm 2. Notice here also the contrasting themes of worship and abomination. The other gospel accounts reveal this is, is Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. This is one of the most moving accounts, isn't it? This precious sister juxtaposed by the widow who gave sacrificially back in chapter 12. Remember her? She comes forward in this amazing, tender moment to pour out her savings upon the Lord Jesus. That, this jar was likely kept in, in a family as an emergency fund. She literally poured out her future and security on Jesus. We see what it means to truly bank it all on Jesus. The anointing of Jesus with expensive perfume by a woman takes place in the house of Simon the leper. Another reminder of Jesus identifying himself with the outcast, this leper likely healed by Jesus. 
The story of this woman's action stands in contrast both with the plotting and the criticism of her action by some of the onlookers there in verses 4 and 5. Everyone was asking, how could she afford that? And how could she waste that? We should be thinking, how much did she love Jesus? How tender her heart must have been. Why don't I love Jesus like that? She gets it. She knows that Jesus is not a king who will ascend a temporal throne and crush his enemies by temporal means. She gets it. She anoints a king who's going to die. And he is the true anointed one of God precisely because he's going to die. And he seizes and seizes this last opportunity. She seizes this opportunity to express her love. One more time, Jesus, if I may. And do not miss the fact that it's a woman. And that as, it, as this gospel proceeds, it will be the women who are increasingly, increasingly the most faithful and reliable of Jesus' followers. Read the text yourself. No wonder the apostles, after this all shakes, shakes out, are aflame for Christ. They remember these things. They remember what they should have done. And they never look back again. The others in the text are self-absorbed. And, and some are preparing for truly what is an, an abomination, as I mentioned before. They're planning to murder the only innocent human in history because his light only exposes their darkness. You know, if, young people, if I could speak to you in the room this morning... Society thinks nothing is wrong with, with a person giving themselves to making money. Oh, they're just making, yeah, they're making all kinds of money. They got a great job. Nothing wrong with that, right? Just a great, successful civic leader. Nothing's wrong with focusing on becoming a great athlete. What a legacy. Some circles praise savvy politicians for getting the, the deals that were cooked up to get there. But when someone is sold out to Jesus, you'll hear that people say, ah, what a waste of talent. What is wrong with us? When a person sells out to Christ, people don't have words enough to describe their sense of disappointment. It's not in my manuscript, but my pastor who I had in D.C., immensely gifted, Wonderful, quick brain, could have done anything. Was called in the ministry as a young man. I remember he told me the story of his mother's great disappointment. The only thing that will really last in this world, young people, is what you do for Jesus in all areas of your life. Can I preach a little bit right here? Sadly, too often, we're good at giving Jesus our leftovers and hand-me-downs. You know what I mean? Danny Aiken wrote about how he served a church once whose student building was filled with old, worn, ratty couches. He said in his commentary, Sweet folks in our church had, brought, had bought new couches for their homes, and so they donated their old, worn couches to the church, and in the process got a tax break and felt good that they had done something noble. But had they really, he asked. I must confess, one of the couches in the youth center had been given by me. It was no longer worthy of being in my house, but it was good enough for Jesus. 
One of my old pastors said this, I get troubled sometimes when people claim they love Jesus, but it never really costs them anything to live for him and show their love for him. He said, in my first little church, we were getting ready to go to youth camp. And I was trying to raise money for the young people who couldn't afford it. I was raising the money because we never turned anybody who wanted to go to camp, turned them away. I went into the home of one of the men in the church who owned a store. I said I would like for him to donate a small amount. And when I asked him, his face looked like he was having a gallbladder attack. I've never seen such a pitiful expression in all my life. He started groaning as if though he was in pain. His wife spoke up. She said, Pastor, he just bought a new Cadillac, and he just can't afford it. He said at the end, it's a sad day when God's people say they love Jesus, but spend more on trinkets and toys and material things than on getting out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. The disciples criticized her, and they get rebuked for it by Jesus. Their plea for the poor is well-grounded, friends, that's for sure, but they have also shown their lack of understanding that her actions are instinctively in harmony with Jesus' repeated prediction of the immediate future. She was prepared, she has prepared him, Jesus says, for his burial. You can't help but know she gets, understands something the others don't. What is it about how often some show they listen well and others don't? Verse 9, her action will be recounted wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world. Notice here also the juxtaposition of values. Judas was likely leading the vocalization here against Mary. That's rich, isn't it? When you read the text, you're like, wow. You think if you're planning on betraying Jesus, you would sit in the back and be quiet. It sounded so pious for, for Judas to talk about the poor when in reality he wanted the money for himself. Friends, be careful of those who speak up so loudly in pious ways and virtue signal like this. They speak up like they are in charge. The same ones who are often minimally involved in following our Lord, following the biblical call. They come into a church and they minimally follow the call of the elders and show up and talk about things that appear to be so righteous, but in fact, their life is a contradiction. How many church member meetings all over America get hijacked by these types who literally try to elder from the floor without being recognized as an elder? Too many. I hear about these stories too often when I try to help other churches. I go to pastors' meetings and try to help pastors, take phone calls on how to help them. When Jesus praised Mary for pouring out the perfume, thought to be worth a year's salary, Judas finally began to realize that Jesus' kingdom was not physical or political. And his greedy desire for money and status could not be fulfilled if he followed Jesus. So he betrayed him in exchange for money and favor from the religious leaders. It's interesting, the word translated waste there in verse 4 it's translated perdition, destruction in John 17, 12, and applied to Judas. Judas criticized Mary for wasting money, but he wasted his entire life. 
there's an application here, namely there's a time for meeting the needs of the poor and the sick, but there's also a time for sacrificial worship. Sacrificial worship for the cause of Christ should be regular. Mary gave her best in faith and love. Judas gave his worst in unbelief and hatred. Imagine being remembered for what Mary did, and then imagine being remembered. Like, Judas is remembering for solving the problem of how the Jewish leaders could arrest Jesus without causing a riot during the feast. What a legacy. Right now, we are, you know, all laying down a story. Our own stories are being lived out right now. Can you hear me? Are you following me? Right now, you and I are putting down a story. We're leaving a legacy. We are either, either living awake unto Christ or against Christ. Christian friends, maybe you've gone through a period where you've just been drifting against Christ. You're not living for Him and following Him and under the control of the Spirit. It's time to wake, repent. Let's get back on the ball here. Let's focus on the goal, which is Jesus. So what's going to change in your life today as you examine these two people? When you look at these two, where, how is your life going to be changed? What's God bringing to your mind and heart right now that needs to change as a result of looking at these two legacies? Jesus is truly the Lamb of God. Let us treasure Him as our everything. Number two, we need the true and greater Passover. We need the true and greater Passover, focusing on verses 12 through 31. Remember that what Passover and unleavened bread represented in the past and pointed to in the future. The Passover was a feast which the people of Israel celebrated God's deliverance, as I mentioned, from bondage in Egypt when they'd been slaves. And, and on this particular Passover, God would once again rescue his people, though in a totally unexpected way, namely through the death of his own son. The festival of unleavened bread followed directly for the next seven days as Passover, and it recalled Israel's hasty departure and their need for purity. By the time of the first century, the festival was coupled with Passover so that there was a week of feasting. And these events, we know, were types and shadows of a great, greater reality found in the Son of God. And we confess as a church in our own Baptist faith and message, all scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. This chapter, along with the rest of the New Testament, reveals that those things pointed to Jesus being the one whose blood would be shed so that God's people would be passed over by his just wrath. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the true and pure bread from heaven. He is to be responded to with haste. Respond now. Be ready to respond now to Christ. And he is the reason we seek to remove the world's influence on ourselves and to walk in purity. Jesus delivers us from a greater tyrant than Egypt or Rome. He delivers us from sin and death. And he is the fulfillment that ends all sacrifices. He's the fulfillment of the hopes of these meals and feasts. Jesus reveals this to the disciples and Mark reveals it to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Garrett, are you saying it's all about Jesus? Yes, to the glory of God the Father and by the Spirit, it's all about Jesus. Look at the details of Jesus' control, though, as the text unfolds. His control of the events, once again, is on display. 
as we move through that section in chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. You can see Mark wants us to see that Jesus does not cower or retreat as plots are hatched against him. He displays, as he has throughout the gospel, a sovereign freedom and authority to follow a course he has freely chosen in accord with God's plan. And he provides precise instruction in verses 13 through 16. And they found things just as, look at the text, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Keep reading. He even prepared them for betrayal from among their ranks. He prepared them for that as well. And verse 21, look at verse 21. Even the betrayal is not outside of God's plan as it is written. The person who so betrays does so by his own choice and will be held responsible. And Jesus applies David's words from Psalm 41, verse 9, ultimately to himself as the king betrayed worse than David's betrayal. <laughs> it was somewhat shocking that David was betrayed. Somewhat. You know, David, David had a pretty bad mark on his, on his record, a horrific mark. But he was, we know he was a sinner. It's so much more striking that Jesus, who is without sin, would be betrayed. And just a note here, at no point in Jesus' ministry is his submission to Scripture more frequently mentioned than in the last hours, these hours of his, of his, of his life. Isn't that something? The Lord Jesus submitted to Scripture as God's word. This is one of the clearest indications that he recognized the scriptures as God's inerrant and infallible word. He's the chief example of the spirit-controlled, filled man. So the logic goes like this. The sign that I truly follow Jesus and am filled with the spirit would be my submission to God's word. You want to be a Jesus man, a man of a woman after Christ? Look how Jesus follows the word. We also see the seriousness of apostasy. Apostasy is turning away from the faith you once confessed in public commitment. We hear a term today often called deconstruction. A lot of people have deconstructed. The betrayal is so thick here. You can sense it. Verse 20 talks about the one who would be dipping bread in the bowl with me, sharing a meal. It was a sign of friendship accenting the act of the betrayal. This is cold-blooded hypocrisy. Sometimes people wreck their lives in faith over, the, over love for lesser things like money, people, and possessions. And Judas is the chief example in the Bible of a person who believes... You pay attention with me right here. Judas is the chief example in the Bible of a person who believes they can never sin their way out of the grace of God. We should remember, Judas, if we ever think we can decide the point in our will at which we'll stop sinning. That's a lot of presumption there. I could just stop sinning anytime I want. God's grace will be there no matter what. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Judas would have said, yeah. Paul says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Sin deceives as well as hardens. That's what we miss. It leads us to hardness of heart and blindness of understanding, which ignores the last little amber of light. 
If you will not respond to God's word, if you will not respond to Christ, the time may come when you cannot and you will not do it. If we yield to sin like this, it masters us. It's terrifying. It should. It should put the fear of God in us. We are not free or able to choose the moment when we will engage in a, in a, in a muni of grace and overflow sins, uh, over, overthrow sin's influence. You understand what I'm saying? That's how powerful sin is over us weak people. We're not free or, or able to choose the moment when we will engage in this, I'll say it again, this, in a mutiny of grace and overflow sin, overthrow sin's influence on us. You're playing with something you don't know what you're playing with. Judas realized when it was too late. And at first he would not repent. Eventually he could not repent. Friends, that should unsettle us all. Whatever is going on, if there's something in your life you're hanging on to, whatever it is that maybe uh, you, you're toying around with, it's not that big of a deal. You friends, you're playing with something. You and I have played with sin. We should never. Regularly, as we see in Scripture, God exercises his sovereignty by letting things take their course rather than by miraculous intrusions of a disruptive sort. The Apostle Paul was on the reception of a dis divine disruption. Had Jesus not disrupted him, he would have not turned. Judas would have been, Judas, friends, right here though in the text, would be given not mercy but justice. God is the sovereign judge, and friends, let's, let's be careful how we talk back to, back to him as Job learned and as Roman 9, Romans 9 teaches. It's, it's easy to become enraged or shocked, though, where we stand in our shoes at what Judas did. Yet professing commitment to Christ and then denying him with one's life is also betraying Jesus. People in churches betray Jesus all the time. The church just doesn't tell them, we're concerned that you're not on Team Jesus anymore. That you've taken up sides against Christ. It should be clear what team you're on, either you're with Christ or not. But when one's life begins to deny him, also betraying him. It is denying Christ's love to live in unrepentant sin and reject his kingly authority. So do your words and actions match, beloved? And note, it's particularly easy for the devil to do it. This, this kind of work is easy for the devil to do in unsaved people whose minds and desires are already corrupted by deceit. So friends, let's not forget Jesus' confidence of God's rule over this entire ugly picture. Jesus never lacked confidence. He told him exactly what was going on. Acts chapter 1, verse 16, Peter declared it was necessary that Scripture be fulfilled about Judas. Despite every demonic and human effort, pay attention right here, despite every demonic and human effort to thwart God's will and stain his glory, God will use their sin to accomplish his will for the revelation of his glory. God is amazing. Many treat Christ with contempt and reject him, yet mark these words, beloved, none will say Jesus Christ is loser to the disappointment of God the Father. Instead, every knee will bow and confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even God's plan for justice should fill us with awe, wonder, and fear of the Lord. 
When we're tempted to think we would be better than Judas, remember this, by nature we're no different from Judas or the people of Sodom or whoever you want to name in the Bible. Only God's sovereign grace lifts us out of this pit into union with Christ. You give him all the glory today. You give him all the glory. He lifted you and I up. But when we see this, this happening around the Passover meal, this, this last supper, this is the first time it's dawned on me. I'm slow, okay? I'm not telling you. You know that I'm slow. So I'll just, I see you back there. Uh, doesn't it make more sense now why Paul called the Corinthians to self-examination at, at the Lord's Supper after what happened right here? This is a sober moment in redemptive history. No wonder Paul's like, get your house in order. Stop observing the Lord's Supper like this. Don't you remember? Don't you remember when the Lord instituted this? Don't you remember Judas? Laplata Baptist Church, we are worthy of the Lord's Supper when we recognize how unworthy we are. We feel its power when we also recognize that Jesus died for us and accepts us in spite of our unworthiness. But look here, Jesus is the greater Passover. He departs from the script that's, being, that's been reenacted generation by generation. He defines his forthcoming death as a sacrificial shedding of blood, inaugurating a new covenant that was always proclaimed in the Old Testament between God and man. And if you know God's word, the new covenant will involve an inner writing of the law on the heart and mind. Their sins and wickednesses will be forgiven and forgotten. So through the bread and wine, Jesus was instituting a, a sacred oath, his own promise to them. That's what, sacred, that's what sacrament means, sacred oath. The bread is, was his body and the wine his blood. Not physically, since he was literally physically, his body was there with him in, in person. No, he's saying spiritually, symbolically. Those who partake of the bread and wine participate in his body and blood given in sacrifice to God for them. Only the one who has divine authority could take up Israel's most sacred, inviolable traditions, the Passover, and reconstitute it around himself. Who is this man that does this? His name's Jesus. Only Jesus could reconstitute this. God would no longer be known by the old Exodus, but by the new one as he foretold. So he supplants the Exodus as Israel's founding moment, declaring that his person and death will henceforth stand at the center of the new covenant in his new redemption. Pastor, you're saying Jesus changes everything? Yes, this is seismic. The imminence of his death signals Jesus' words that he will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when he will drink it in the new kingdom. He, you know what's attached to that? His unconditional commitment to his people. I'm going to bring you into the Father's arms. I'm going to bring you to the feast of the King. Don't miss the, the, the importance of the command there in verse 22. Take it. Take it. Take it. You have to receive Jesus. You don't get the benefit unless you take it by faith. And digest it. 
You must repent and believe. You must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to trust in him by faith alone, not in your works, but trusting in his merits alone, that he lived, died, and was raised for you. So you be forgiven and granted eternal life. You have to believe on Jesus. You've got to repent. You've got to come to Christ. Have you done that? Are you trusting in Christ today? Verse 24 reminds us that his blood was poured out for many, just like Isaiah said, for the nations. Friends, the celebration that we do every month of the Lord's Supper, it humbles us before God. We confess our sin and restate our need for Christ to guide us. It reminds us that we are forgiven, that he shed his blood, paid the price we could not pay. Third, it expresses our oneness in Christ. We're united in Jesus Fourth, it encourages us to recommit. We're reminded to pledge ourselves to serve him who died for us. That's why we get up and read our church covenant. To confess we're still holding to Christ. Like an Israelite celebrating the Passover, we confess it is because of what the Lord did for me. It's an act of faith. It's an act of commitment because faith in Christ demands whole soul committed to Christ's commands. We thought about Wednesday night, what that word confess means. Public commitment to Christ. It's not what you, it's not what you say when you're wrong. Is it in here? Is your life about Jesus? When we as a church come around the Lord's Supper, we pledge ourselves anew to be his disciples. Sign me up, Lord. I'm ready. I'm, I'm following you. Sign me up. I'm coming again. I want to keep going, Jesus. Follow the lamb wherever he goes. It's a family meal. Why was Jesus pulling 12 disciples out of their families and organizing a Passover meal with them? Because he was creating a new family, a new people, a new Israel in himself as the true son, greater Adam, better Israel for any Jew or Gentile who would ever repent and believe. Only in Christ can a band of natural enemies who, uh, who love one another for Jesus' sake, can they come together? But notice how it was appointed for Jesus to go alone and be raised. 27 through 28, Mark's account demonstrates that the death of Jesus was not a catastrophe that overtook Jesus, but something for which he had long prepared. Not only was his death anticipated by Christ himself, but Mark shows us, he also shows this, it was anticipated the scattering of the disciples after his death was also known. He prepared them for his resurrection in verse 28 to go before them to Galilee as he had been after he had been raised. Zechariah 13, as you heard read this morning, foretold that a fountain bringing cleansing would open through the Messiah. The land would be cleansed of the unclean spirit and this would bring people back into fellowship with God. But it was all come through the striking of the shepherd. Israel's Messiah must be hit stricken, afflicted. Jesus is that one who was stricken for us, the servant of the Lord, to bear the sins of the many. He's both shepherd king and servant, and only he can endure this. The disciples will desert him, but after his resurrection, he will gather them in Galilee. So he shows again, it seems to be woven throughout chapter 14, the providence of God in all of these things. 
That's his superintending of all things. Here's some other application for us. It goes back to the, the subject of anxiety. We are instructed to focus on what God is doing in our own circumstances. We are instructed to focus on what God is doing in our own circumstances. We are not to become obsessed about what either man or nature may be doing. That is not easy to do. Be anxious for nothing. Well, that, that's, you ever thought about that command, that call? We can't do that outside the power of the Holy Spirit. But by his power, we can focus on what God's doing. God, you have appointed these things for me. You have ordained this particular challenge, challenge for me. Help me to focus on what you're doing right now, not on what these people or, what this, or, or nature is doing against me. We may, not, we may not at first recognize, as one author put it, God's footprints, but believe that they are there and be assured that he's working out his perfect purpose in the midst of the chaos around us. You going through a difficult time today? Stop and pray that God would cause you to see his hand at work in your life. And not to be over-obsessed and thinking about what man or nature are doing. You can't help but also see the self-confidence of Peter and the disciples really is self-deception in these, in, in these last verses, verses 29 through 31. We must never discount our vulnerability. <laughs> Here's our lesson. We should never discount our, our vulnerability to pride, greed, or even indifference. Peter is so emphatic here in verse 29. Yet Jesus tells him down to the exact time how many times he will deny him. In dark hours, Christ revealing himself as the Lord of the future, the incarnate God who knows all things in detail before they come to pass. It's easy to say we're devoted to Christ, but our claims are meaningful, friends, only when we are tested, as one author put it, in the crucible of rejection and persecution. Here's what I want to ask myself. I kind of want to underline this for my own life. Maybe you ask yourself this today. How strong is your faith? How strong are you in the Lord right now? What trials would come your way that you think could potentially derail you? What are the trials and difficulties that are causing you to fray in your faithfulness to Christ? Do not have confidence in the flesh. But instead, remember your need of the Holy Spirit. And remember that God has given us his spirit so we would have power. Do not trust in your will. Do not trust in the, your ability to will yourself up and out. The human will is not, is not some objective part of us unaffected by the fall no it's impacted too look to god for help ask him to work this in you trust that he will give you grace for today and then the next we need the lord's help totally in all things so let me conclude have you been impacted by jesus 
Do you admit that he... Do you admit where we need do you admit where you need him regularly? Do you see areas of your life where you're like the disciples? And have walked in some blindness lately? Have you been impacted by Jesus that you put all your hopes on him, so much so that you pour out your best stewardship unto him? Do you value the Passover he purchased for you? And do you live in remembrance of him or ask him instead to live for you? Let's pray. O oh, great God, hallowed be your name. It's through Jesus alone we are your people and pray. It's because of the giving of your spirit where we have access to you. Through Christ. We marvel at your providential hand over all these situations we studied in the word today. We tremble at the idea of being light about sin and cheap about grace. God, forgive us. Overcome, Lord, this, these sinful impulses in us, Lord, by your grace and by the power of the Spirit. Calls us to treasure Jesus. Calls us to pour out our whole lives in love to you, Lord. We were so lost. We should have died in sin. Because of your kindness, you brought us to your side. You led us. You called us, Lord, to be one of your own. Because of the Lamb of God. Give us joy as we sing, the, sing about the gospel now. In your name we pray. Amen.